0: If you want, you can go ahead and uh, turn with me to the book of Philippians again, chapter 1. And let me just say, it's been... Uh, A pleasure for me to be with you this week. I look forward to coming and uh, spending time with you all and spending a few days in between Sundays with you too, so looking forward to the rest of this day as well before I head home to New Jersey. And I guess I probably won't be back for a year or so as the routine goes, but uh, I do think of you throughout the year now and again, so and it's nice to actually be here. So thank you for your kindness to me, your hospitality, and uh, just the fellowship. So uh, verse 1 again. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, Make a request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So this morning, our plan is to continue to look through this book and consider the heart of Paul and the affections that he had for his brothers and his sisters. And just a little bit of a reminder of what we looked at last week, that it's okay for us to lift up Paul In our estimation and look at him and admire him because he himself said, imitate me even as I imitate Christ. And it must have been so wonderful to be around Paul because he really did imitate Christ to others. And so by looking at him, people could know what Christ was like. And so we can do that this morning. We can look at Paul and see the kind of affection he had for his brothers and sisters and not just admire, but aspire. Aspire to be like him as he was like Christ. Ultimately, yes, aspiring to be like Christ. And uh, Paul, we would put him up, you know, he's a famous guy, right? We would put him up very highly. Uh, It was definitely a special man. But he was also a man with a nature like ours. And he was also a man who had the Spirit of God like we do. And so this love, uh, this uh, tenderness and thoughtfulness, um, this longing for his brothers and sisters uh, was a re- as a result of him having the Spirit of God within him, bearing forth, bringing forth this fruit of love in his life. And we have that same Spirit. So we should have that expectation. We should feel justified in aspiring to be like him, that in us this should be seen as well. For we have a nature like his, and we have the Spirit of God, even as he did those of us who have trusted in Christ. So we went just a brief uh, uh, overview of some of the points in 1 Corinthians 13, just to remind us how grand of a thing love really is. Uh, and uh, when you start to dwell on some of the characteristics of love, you realize, my goodness, uh, this is uh, even more wonderful than I might naturally be inclined to think. But we are to be able to flourish in this grace, we really should be able to grow. and and just see the kinds of things that we would see in Paul, we should be able to see this in ourselves. But what it's going to mean is that we're going to have to change. We have to change, and I'll just bring that point up from last week, that sometimes we tend to want to justify our behavior, justify what we might call our personality. and We might say, this is just the way that I am, and it sure would be better if everyone would just accept that. Uh, I've accepted it. <laughs> so why doesn't everybody just accept that this is just the way that I am? And uh, maybe in some ways it doesn't come across very loving, but it's just the way that I am. Uh, we we have to change. It's unacceptable for us to justify behavior that is really an obstacle to being characterized by the kind of love that the Bible puts before us. We have to change. I told you that story about the brother that came to me, and uh, he said to me, Scotty's like, do you want to be a great man of God? And that's exactly what I desire and did desire. And he said to me, then love the people of God. So this is absolutely uh, combined together that if I'm going to be a great man of God, if I'm going to love God, I need to love the family of God. I need to love his people. And so this has to be something that characterizes our life. So the first thing I suggested to you to do if you recognize that that's a truth And I'll emphasize this again too. I think this is uh, something that um, should be very natural to us. That as soon as I realize I'm being pressed upon, challenged, and I recognize that what's being said to me or what I'm reading is true, and I'm feeling the conviction, I'm feeling the stirring within my own heart about these things, that just turn to your Father in heaven, right? Just turn to Him and speak to Him about these things uh, make it a matter of prayer. You see that there is um, a difference between Paul and ourselves, <laughs> and we realize that uh, things need to change in our life. If I'm going to be more like him, if I'm going to be more like Christ, there's some things that are going to need to change. And just speak to our God about it. Lay out these things before him and cry out to him from our hearts sincerely that these are things that we want to see change in our life. And one of the things that... Uh, Changed very quickly for me as some progress was made in that was in verses 3 and 4. Just a little bit of a quick review from last week. Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you all with joy. So please take that to heart. If we are really going to be looking for evidence in our life that we are loving our brethren, we're going to be praying for them. We have to uh, fill our our, our days to some measure, there has to be some time that we're spending speaking of uh, brothers and sisters, lifting up uh, their needs and our concerns for them before our Father, speaking their names. And I suggested to you uh, quite confidently last week that if we could overhear Paul's prayers, it just would have been, it would have been amazing to hear the, the kinds of uh, requests that he would make and the names that he would name. And he had very real, sincere conversations with God about people that he knew. And then verse 7, that wonderful little expression there that Paul says, I have you in my heart. We want to be able to say that. I really want to be able to say that personally, that this is how I would express my affection for the family of God, to say sincerely, I have you in my heart. I really have you in my heart. Verse 8, for God is my witness how greatly I long for you all. And I said last week, that's something that seems uh, well beyond where I'm at. And uh, I didn't want to discourage you, so I told you uh, I was looking forward to coming. (laughs) I was looking forward to being with you. But this this longing, this incredible desire to want to be with the family of God, to see their faces, to hear their voices, to fellowship with them, to be among them, enjoying their company, this is something that Paul had. And this was... Because he loved them. Because he loved them, he wanted to be with them. And he says, I greatly long for you. He even goes so far as to say, with the affection of Jesus Christ. With the affection of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing for any one of us to be able to say that we long for one another. Truly, I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. But now we're moving on. And I read a couple more verses than I read last time. Verse nine, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. So here Paul right away brings us right back to that first point that he is in prayer for the saints at Philippi. He's on his knees or he's laying down. He's speaking to the Father about the saints in Philippi. And one of his requests to God for them is that their love would abound still more and more and this is uh, just to recognize the truth of this that whatever measure of love we might have whatever measure of affection we might have for the brothers and sisters it is to like to abound more and more and more it's just to just to excel and to flourish to grow love is to grow When Paul was writing the Thessalonians, he said this, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. That's what it was like in Thessalonica. The love between the brothers and sisters there, it was just abounding toward one another. So much so that Paul said, I'm kind of bragging about you. I'm boasting about you to the other churches because your love is abounding so much to one another. It just keeps growing. It goes beyond where it is to greater heights. And this really, when you think about it, as Christians get older, we should be more and more characterized and more clearly characterized by love. It should be all the more evident to everyone else around us that as I get older, as a Christian, there is this progress in this realm of the spiritual life that I'm truly becoming more and more loving. Older saints, <laughs> you know, been saved for a long time. It should be clear, clear to everyone that you are a child of God who loves the family of God. And in Thessalonica, it must have been such a pleasure to be there. Their love towards each other was just growing. It was flourishing. It was overflowing towards one another. And so this is what Paul prays for them. He prays that their love would abound more and more. But let us notice here that it is to be abounding more and more in knowledge and all discernment. The means by which this must take place. You wonder, how does that take place? How does love, abounding more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, what is the means by which that takes place? It must be by means of the Word of God. Love cannot make progress in knowledge. Love cannot make progress in discernment unless I am devoted to the Word of God. To not only read it, to not only meditate on it, but also to practice it. Knowledge will come. If if I read the Word of God, if I meditate on the Word of God, there's going to be knowledge. But discernment, discernment is going to come from the use of the Word of God. The writer of Hebrews helps us to understand that when he speaks of mature ones who by reason of use, by reason of practice, of what they have read, of what they have learned, by reason of use of the word of God, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It's a wonderful thing to be able to have discernment, to be able to distinguish between one thing and another. And if I'm going to distinguish between one thing and another, I'm going to have to have an exposure to the word of God, and not just reading it, but to be actually meditating on it, and then I'm going to have to put those things into practice. And in doing that, as I do that, it's going to develop this ability to discern between things. Sometimes it seems severely lacking in the church at large. Sometimes you just get that impression, such a lack of discernment between those things And hopefully all of us as the children of God are already in a committed relationship with the Bible. I hope that we're all in a very committed relationship with our Bibles. But if not, it should be clear to us that our love will not abound more and more in knowledge and in all discernment apart from it. It's not going to happen. And if that be true, then we will also find ourselves falling short of experiencing what follows in the next two verses. Look what follows there. I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent. What a wonderful goal to have in mind, that as I grow in my knowledge of the Word of God, and I put it into practice and I have discernment, I'm able to distinguish those things that are excellent things that are excellent. I see more clearly those things. That was one of the, in the Old Testament, the priests, they were to know the Word of God. They were to know the law that God had given. They were to read it, to understand it, to be able to teach it. And time and time again, the reason for this was that you might be able to discern between that which is clean and that which is unclean. There needed to be an exposure to the Word of God, a knowledge of the Word of God. And then as they went out in real life, they learned to be able to distinguish between one thing and another. And in that case, it was between clean and unclean, holy and unholy. And here it's even more fine-tuned than that because it's between the things that are maybe good and the things that are excellent. I want to be able to discern the things that are excellent. And I can do that. If love is abounding more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, I can approve those things, discern those things, make good decisions, and pick the things that are not just good and far be it from things that are unclean or unholy. But even over those things which are good, I can figure out, I can see those things that are actually excellent. And then it goes on. I mean, what, I mean, it's just like uh, uh, one thing flowing after another that comes out of this. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. I mean, <laughs> don't you want this, right? Don't I want this? Don't I want to live in such a way that as that day is before me, that day of Christ is ahead of me, that all the while, while I'm waiting for that day, I am characterized as being without offense. Because my love is abounding more and more, in knowledge and in all discernment. And I have this ability, therefore, to choose consistently the things that are excellent. And it's keeping me from being offensive. It's keeping me holy and pure as I wait for that day. And not only that, verse 11, being filled, filled with the fruits of righteousness, a righteous life, a holy life that brings forth fruit, beautiful fruit to the glory of God and also that those things come about no other way but by Jesus Christ, who you know he said, abide in me (laughs) because apart from me you can do nothing. So this fruit is going to come by him, this fruit of righteousness in my life, and it's going to glorify God. And it all starts with seeing to it that my love is abounding more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. So this is what Paul prays for them. This is what Paul wants for them. And we should want it for ourselves as well. But I said we were hop, skipping, and jumping through this book. We haven't really hopped anywhere yet, so let's do that. Go to uh, chapter 1 and verse 21. Paul's affection here is going to come out in perhaps a more subtle way for the believers he says in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, but I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. So Paul's in prison. You know this passage. And it's, it's almost as if he can see the path very clearly out before him. There's a path over here, and that path leads to death. I kind of want to go that way. I really desire to go that way. Because if I choose that, if I had the choice and I was to choose to go into death, that's going to bring me to Christ. (laughs) Because to depart from the body is to be with Christ. And that's far better. By the way, going back to being able to discern the things that are excellent, have we been able as believers to discern that that is the more excellent place to be, (laughs) to be with Christ, that that is far better. Do we see that clearly? That even if I should have death before me, that I should be willing to go down that path because it is far better that I should go down that path and be with Christ. He says, I don't even know what to pick because I really want that, but I guess I'll live But what does he say? He says I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better; nevertheless to remain in the flesh, that means in his body, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. The more excellent choice he actually would he would refrain from seeking that, you know, ultimately for his own gain, his personal gain, that he should be with Christ so that he can remain in the flesh for the needs of his brothers and sisters. And being confident in this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. His whole decision there, the the whole process is about, yes, this would be personally beneficial to me in a way that I can't even... Fathom, it would be so much better for me to go and be with Christ. But for your sake, because I want to see your joy abound, I want to see you grow in your faith, for your need, I will remain. Because I love you. <laughs> because I love you. I will remain with you. What a heart to put aside what would be best for Him personally so that he could continue to be an expression of love to them. Go now to chapter 2. Look at verse 3. This is a little bit of the how. How how can we do this? How can we love? This is going to give us a bit of instruction. He says in verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. If you want to really look at a couple of verses that will tell you how to love others, here's a couple of verses that will tell you how to do that. We need to have this, this phrase here, lowliness of mind. It's really one word in the Greek, Lowliness of mind basically means humility. That the mind takes that low place that truly in my mind, sincerely so, I take the low place in my thinking. Hum- humbleness. Is there anything quite as lovely in a person as humility? I mean, when you think about it, is there anything that's so very beautiful to see in someone as humility? Peter speaks of it as if it was clothing. He writes, All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Just think of it as this gorgeous garment. And the priests were given these gorgeous garments for glory and for beauty. As the priests of God, they were given garments to wear for glory and for beauty. Well, here's a garment for the Christian to wear for glory and for beauty. I know it's interesting to say for glory. I would put on humility for glory. But in a certain sense, there's a truth to that, right? That I put it on as clothing, this beautiful adornment of humility. And Peter goes on to say, for God resists the proud. He resists them but he gives grace to the humble. And if I'm going to flourish in that that realm of love towards my brothers and sisters, I'm going to need grace. So the last thing I need is is God resisting me. The last thing I need is God standing against me. I'm not going to make much progress in that way. Humility has got to characterize me. And it's beautiful to wear such a thing as humility. Humility. And this is especially manifested by us when, as we read, we esteem others better than ourselves. We put them above us, as superior to us, as more important than us, as more significant than us. Looking out not only for our own interests but also for the interests of others. We just saw this illustrated for us in Paul's decision not to die and gain that which was personally far better for him, but to remain on in his body for the sake of the church. He put their needs above his own, their desires above his own. He esteemed them higher than himself. And this comes from a place of humility. To really not just be interested about my own concerns, we have legitimate concerns that we need to take care of, um, and we need to see to those things. Certainly, but we are to very much be aware of and sensitive of, and ready to meet the needs of those around us, and ready to sacrifice ourselves to meet those needs. And some of you are probably um, familiar with the story I'm about to tell. I posted it a few weeks ago. I was in a coffee shop, which is not unusual, and uh, <laughs> I, I uh, was sitting there doing some studying, and uh, this young woman came, and she sat at a table next to me, and uh, she got all her books out, and it was clear that she was studying for something. Um, and uh, I'm doing my thing. She's doing her thing, and uh, she's having a conversation with someone on the phone. I'm not really paying attention until I hear something about the Lord. You know you know when that happens, right? You're, all of a sudden your ears get bionic. You, know? you become very good at eavesdropping. And uh, so I'm listening and I'm like, did she just say something about the Lord? So she's talking to her friend and consoling her friend, spending time with her friend on the phone. And I, I, I see that she needs to study. She's got something big that she's doing that she's preparing for. But she's putting aside her own needs so that she can spend time with a friend on the phone, helping them through something that they were going through. Like, wow, this is beautiful. And then she said, she said, I will pray for you. I was like, oh, that's even better. She's there for her friend. She's putting aside her own needs to be there for her friend. And then she would even pray for her friend. What a way to love her friend. But then she did something I wasn't expecting, and she kind of just upped it a bit. She just prayed right there. (laughs) She just prayed right there in the coffee shop. I mean, it wasn't loud. I mean, I'm probably the only one who, who even knew what she was doing. But she prayed right there over the phone with her friend. I said, wow, this is a beautiful thing to see. She just set aside her own interest, which there was a place for them, but there was a need. And so in love for this person, she spent time consoling this person, giving advice to this person, and then praying for this person. It was on display right there in front of me, this love. So I had to go over and talk to her, and it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm single, and she was... Young woman, there's nothing to do. Just, to, I had to go over and talk to her and just find out a little bit more about her. And of course, it turns out she was a Christian, and we had a nice conversation. And I asked her permission to use this as an illustration <laughs> in a message. So, um, so beautiful to see this in action. Such a, a humility and a willingness to put aside one's own needs to help others. But if I can help the challenge here to really reach the depths that it ought to, let me suggest that it is possible for one to learn what humble behavior looks like and then pursue that behavior, as strange as it may sound, with selfish ambition at heart. That a conceited motivation is behind actions that give an appearance of humility. You know, we recognize as Christians that Humility is a good thing, and I can see what, what would be an action that would put that on display. But somehow in our hearts, they're not right. The action may be good and it might benefit the others, might be a good example for others, but from the heart and from the mind, it's not really coming from a sincere place of humility. But somehow, there's this motivation for self in it. There's a, some kind of conceit, some kind of selfish ambition at the root of it. Maybe we say to ourselves, after we've done the act of humility, whatever it is, we say, I am so humble. (laughs) Man, I think I'm the humblest person I know. (laughs) Moses, step aside. (laughs) And uh, you know what? Everyone else is going to think that about me too. As I do this, you know what? People are going to think that I'm humble and I am humble. (laughs) But, you know, this is just, this is not what we want. This is not, we want to stay far away from just giving an appearance of humility, discerning, because we're intelligent enough, I can figure out what things I can do that pass myself off as one who's humble. We want a life that's filled with acts of humility that truly come from a humble heart, from a mind that, that sincerely Thinks from a position of lowliness, clearly from the scriptures, even at uh, Kiner's point, I think uh, Friday night, we were, someone was mentioning this. might have been Tyler, but the scriptures teach of our natural inclination to do things merely for the recognition of man. It's a problem. It's a problem. We do things for the praise of men, thinking only of their assessment, but only true humility of heart. Sincere lowliness of mind can provide that rich soil in which love can flourish. That's what we want. We don't want to just act humble. We want to be humble. And (laughs) know our God, our Father, will see to it that the necessary circumstances that will cultivate this humility in us will come upon us. He'll bring he'll bring about some circumstances that will humble us. So, if, you know, people say don't pray for patience, right? Because you know what's coming. <laughs> well, if you want humility, be prepared for some things that are going to cultivate that that are going to humble you. And there's no way around our responsibility to submit ourselves to those circumstances, to submit ourselves to those trials, those tribulations, to humble ourselves under his mighty hand and let him do his work in us. He's trying to conform us to the image of his son. We have to let him do that. And he's going to bring circumstances that will help shape us You know, when he brought Israel out of Egypt, he had them in the wilderness there, and they were wandering around. And he tells them one of the reasons that they were in the wilderness. He says, you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you. It was hard in the wilderness. There were difficulties there. There were challenges there. There were consequences there. It was not the promised land. It was not an experiential, abundant life, if you will. That's where he was leading them to. But there was a work. There was a difficult environment in which humility could actually be worked in them. That was his purpose. I want to humble you. You're going into the land, and if you're going to go into the land and enjoy my blessings and maintain that place, you're going to have to have humility to get in and to maintain that place and so I'm cultivating that in you through your circumstances. So be assured, God's going to bring those things about because we need it. Verses 5 and 8 are now before us. And coming off the thought of true humility, how absolutely and wonderfully appropriate for our focus to be shifted from one who imitated Christ to Christ Himself. And I've got to tell you, I never met the man, but I'm quite confident Paul would be delighted. Paul would be delighted about the fact that we are shifting our focus from him to Christ. Paul would be delighted, for that's what one who truly imitates Christ is going to do. If any one of us has a desire to imitate Christ, and we're able to successfully do that, it's going to be our delight to point others to Christ and be thrilled about it. (laughs) Be thrilled about it, that in any way I should be able to resemble Christ in such a way as to direct anybody to him. (laughs) What a thrill to be able to do that. Remember when John the Baptist's disciples came to him, they're like, you know, this Jesus, he's getting more followers than you. They're all going to him what does this forerunner of Christ think about that? You know, what does this one who came to point to the Messiah think about that? He says, I rejoice. <laughs> it was his pleasure that they would go to him, that in some way his life was spent pointing to him and that people were directed to him. And he gladly said, I must decrease and he must increase. Anyone who wants to imitate Christ is going to be delighted to point others to Christ. Oh, to be those who can live in such a way as to draw the thoughts of others to Christ, to lead them to Christ by being like him. And if there's one thing that, uh, as, I mean, I would love a lot of these things to lay heavy on our hearts, but at this point, like this is probably my, this is what I want to say even more, perhaps, than anything else. The honor of being anything like him. The honor of being anything like him. You know, when we see him for the first time, plan to be surprised. Plan to be surprised. It's going to be more glorious, more beautiful, infinitely lovely. <laughs> we had that psalm from last week. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. To de- behold the The delightfulness of the Lord. And when I see Him, (laughs) and then in the twinkling of an eye I am made like Him, well, (laughs) it's just going to be, I don't know, there's not a word. And we'll look at each other and we'll say, you know, I'll say, Trey. I had no idea you could look that good. (laughs) And Terry will say the same thing to me. You know, there'll be this uh, just—it'll be unimaginable that God had such a thing in mind for us. You know, His plans for us, His intentions towards us, His the the grace that is just going to unfold to us in the ages to come—it's just going to continually surprise us, continually amaze us. And when we see that we have been made like him, um, it's going to be an honor that we we just uh, can't describe. That I should be anything like him. That I should be marked by a love that he had. That I should be characterized by a humility that that, that he had. Well then, let's go on to him. Verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God or something to be held on to, something to be grasped on to, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This is love. This is love right here, what we just read. (laughs) This is love. In fact, John would say, this is how the world knows that God loves the world because he gave his Son. And this is how the Lord himself expressed that love to us. He loved us and gave himself for us. What a beautiful expression of love. You know, it's like you just want to say, behold the Savior. It says here that he made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation this is to make empty, to abate, to reduce or lower, as in rank. And Hold on to that, because I've got a little story to tell you here. As in rank or office, as in reputation or estimation. To, to have no reputation, to allow myself to be lowered, to empty myself, perhaps, of my privileges, of whatever justly might be mine, that I, that I put those things aside and I take the place of one who has no reputation. This is what Jesus did. This is what we must do if we're going to love one another. We have to think a little less of ourselves and of our whatever our position is. We have to move into that place where we set aside those privileges or rights or whatever they are, whatever honor might be ours in order to serve one another. So I read this story a while back. It illustrates it well. It says uh, many years ago, there was this, squad of soldiers who were trying to move this heavy piece of timber, and there was a corporal who stood by uh, giving orders to heave, come on men, let's heave, heave, get this up, get this into place, just yelling at them uh, from a, a point of distance to them. But the piece of timber was a trifle too heavy for the squad. They just couldn't get it into place. It's like they just really needed one more person, but they weren't getting any help from the corporal, not the corporal. Why don't you help them, asks this man who rides up on a horse. Unknown man just comes up on a horse and, and uh, comes upon the scene and says, why don't you help them? Me? Why, I'm a corporal, sir. Dismounting, the stranger carefully took his place with the soldiers. Now, all together, boys, heave, he said. And the big piece of timber slid into place. That's all they needed was just a little bit of help. The stranger mounted his horse and addressed the corporal. And that's what he said. The next time you need help and you have a piece of old timber for your men to handle, corporal, send for the commander-in-chief. And the horseman was none other than George Washington. And he just—I mean, if the corporal could be justified in saying, "I'm a corporal, I should not get down to serve and to have affection for these men by helping them in their their time of need," but here was the commander-in-chief, George Washington, coming along, making himself of no reputation in order to be able to serve. And this is what Christ Jesus did. And in doing so, he revealed his love for us abating himself, lowering himself. This is the king of the universe we're talking about here. So that he might become a servant, humbling himself to that point. And even further, humbling himself to even going to death and humbling himself even further, right? Even to the death of the cross. And Shall we not have the honor of being like him? That's uh, Andrew, our brother, there in in imprisonment, and he was just seeing himself as blessed. He's seeing himself as blessed. It's just an honor, right? Why? Why is it an honor? Because it's, uh, it's an honor to be like Christ. Shall we not make ourselves of no reputation among our brethren? Shall we not abate ourselves so that we might serve one another and in so doing love one another? Someone asked a, a question, you know, said, How do you know? if you have a servant attitude? And uh, this was a pretty good answer. How do you know if you have a servant attitude? Well, it really depends on how you react when you're treated like one. You know, there's a fault certainly to be found when people treat each other disrespectfully and step on one another. But what about my heart when that happens and someone treats me like a servant? How do I respond to that? That will reveal a lot about whether I really am a servant. And do I really have that servant mentality? And shall we not observe and take to heart that this love of Christ was marked by death? Shall we not be willing to do the same, not only in an ultimate way of being willing to physically die for the sake of our brethren, but even to put self to death for them, to be consistently and actively going into death as a sincere expression of our love for one another, and in that way having the glorious privilege of being like our Savior? And did he not command this? Did he not give us a new commandment? Yes, to love one another, but to love one another even as he has loved us. To be willing to go into death, even death of self, out of love and affection for brothers and sisters. And did he not say immediately after that, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, I didn't hop, skip, and jump all the way through as I wanted to. I want to finish with just perhaps this last point. Look at uh, just what the first part of verse 9 says. First part of 9 says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him. The Lord Jesus came, and he loved, and he served, and he went even into death in that service, and in that love he went even into death and in that death, then he rose from the grave and God exalted him to the highest place that he could possibly exalt him to his own right hand. It reminds us, of, uh, we were talking about Daniel this morning, that Darius wanted to raise up Daniel to the highest place that he possibly could. Pharaoh raised up Joseph to the highest place that he could. That's what God did with, with his son. And you know what? He, he did that also as an example for us. Because you know what? God will do the same thing. Not to the highest place. That's for Christ alone. But that if you and I are willing to serve one another and to love one another, even to die for one another, God's going to honor us. We're going to be exalted by him in a day to come. It may not happen here, but there's honor to come for anyone who will pour themselves out for the family of God, who will love the family of God. There is glory and honor and praise even from God for those who would do such a thing. And Christ is our example. You could, it's like as if Christ could say, look at what I have done, and now I have been exalted. My Father will do the same to you. My Father will do the same to you. You serve one another. You love one another. You pour out yourself to death, and He will exalt you in a day to come. You know those words The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it. and He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. That's what we're talking about. Following in his footsteps, imitating him. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am... There my servant will be also. Well, where is he? He's exalted. If I serve him, I'm going to be there with him. And what are the words he says next? This is from John twelve. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Those are precious words. If anyone serves me, him. My Father will honor. You know, uh, there's a lot of things that we should be looking forward to, things that we should plan to be surprised about uh, that are going to (laughs) just um, astound us as being so far and above and beyond what we ever expected. And one of those things that we should put on that list is the honor that God is going to give us, the praise that's going to come from Him to those who have served Him. I mean, in that day when He is giving honor. Not men, not the world. When God is giving praise. When we're in that moment when it's actually happening. If for some reason I didn't live in such a way as to really uh, lay much treasure up in heaven. I really spent most of my life, unfortunately, characterized by serving myself and not being very loving. And in that day, I see others who did do that. And I see the honor that God is giving them. I know there's no envy in heaven, but... There's going to be some tears, I think, before he wipes them away. And some of us are going to say, Wow. I would give anything to be honored like that. It's going to be quite a scene. We have to take that on faith now, that that scene is going to be incredible. And that honor from God is going to be more wonderful than we could uh, ever hope for. But for now, we have to believe it. We just have to mix these things in our hearts with faith and then carry it out in our lives. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we pray that uh, our thoughts have been drawn by your Spirit, through your Word, that uh, we are to be loving one another and to serve one another and to even be pouring ourselves out, as Paul would say later, that he was glad to be poured out as a drink offering on the service and sacrifice of their faith saying that he would very gladly spend and be spent for their souls. And that this is something that each one of us should be willing to do and able to do, depending on your spirit who dwells within us, that his fruit should come forth in our life, that we should love one another sincerely from the heart, speaking of one another as beloved, longing for one another, praying for one another, serving one another, even at the expense of our own self. Dying to self, so that we can express to one another such affection as Paul did, such affection as Christ did. So we pray that you would stir us up to this by your Spirit and pray that we would look forward to that honor. It's okay for us to have that in mind. It's okay for us to have that well done and good and faithful servant in mind that the day is coming when our praise, each man's praise, will come from God. We pray that we will look forward to that, not the praise of men, not just to do things for the appearance sake that will satisfy us to some extent here. We will have our reward here, if that's the case. But we look on to a reward that's still yet to come. We want to be rich toward God, not toward man. So we pray that you would stir us up to that day. One day it's going to be a reality. We're going to see you rewarding. We're going to see you giving honor. And for those of us who are willing to take that on faith and to go ahead and love one another and serve one another, we'll be very glad in that day. So we ask by faith that we would just help, help us to, to lay hold of these things even now. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for the extra time they gave me this morning, maybe unwillingly. But uh, thank you for them and for a chance to just spend some time with them. And we just uh, we give all these things to you, Father, asking them in our Savior's name, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for his name's sake. Amen.